On this fine hump day. On this fine, fine. It is Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know what day it is. I just know if I work or not. (laughs) Acceptable. Yeah. That is acceptable. That's all I really need to know. Yeah. What else really matters? Nothing. Right. That is a payday today? That's it. Next week. (laughs) Do I get paid this week? I think I get paid this week. I think so. Uh, yeah. So welcome, everyone. Welcome back. Hello. Did you catch our live yesterday on March 14th? We had a really good conversation we about a very the long conversation. We did. We did. But it was so good. It was good. And I we did, had I folks had, join us. I spent too much time yesterday talking about International Booker. Not according to YouTube. It's never enough now, is it? Oh, no, it's never enough. Yeah, exactly. Apparently YouTube only likes me when I'm being sassy. Isn't that everyone? I know, but it's exhausting. It's the sass and the snark. I do wonder what people who do those kinds of, that kind of content all the time, like what is their, Mm -hmm. what do they like? Like, does it get, does it Um, get draining? Because it kind of got like, I had one wild ride of a weekend and it was exhausting. <laughs> but I look at it like people who choose to have a career that's built around being some sort of like a gossip columnist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's a certain kind of energy and attitude and personality that you have all the time and it gets your gears going. So you're yeah, I'm never not tired Rivers. of it. Right. I'm not oh, Joan man. Rivers. Oh, I Joan. Can't. Rest in peace, Joan. I can't just. What a woman. <laughs> what a woman. Joan Rivers would have been canceled in two seconds in this. Oh, my goodness. Climate. The number of people from that era who would have been like buried under the dirt by now. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Times they are changing. Before we tell folks what we're currently reading or what we currently finished, I do want to give a little plug for our Patreon. Um, we have one. <laughs> Join it. <laughs> and we have a lovely Discord. And uh, one of our tiers, uh, we have a, a buddy read. And um, what is this? It's March. Our March pick was Burial Rights by Ooh, Hannah to- Kent. And it's fantastic. And mm-hmm. so if you want to read with us and our special little Patreon, join so you can participate in those reads. This, this is separate from our um, 2023 reading schedule. This is just for our Patreon members. We are right now throwing out choices for our April picks. So yeah. get in while the getting's good. And we're running it like April, May, we read a book. June, July, we read a book. So it's it's pretty cash. So people can come in and get synced up and, and all of that. Yeah. Um, at, like low pressure. Just have fun, read a book. And I Very need much. to think of books for that list. I know I started the thread and then I never answered. I need to. <laughs> Cause I'm like, Oh my God, what do I want to read? What do I think I know. would be good? Um, and it's so kind of nice options. to try to find something that people have access to, I think is the most important thing because mm-hmm. you know, it's hard. Times are tough. 
banks yeah. are failing. We need to be able to access things for free Seriously. or low cost. Because <laughs> Seriously. <sighs> Yeah. It, it is better if, by chance, everyone already owns the book. That's, like, really winning. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah, join us. All links for everything are always um, on our website, tbrlowdown.com. All right. Patreon plug over. What whoop, are you whoop. reading? What did you just finish? Uh, so, I'm still trying to finish things uh, following mm-hmm. our conversation yesterday. Uh, and I just haven't been given time to read. But I am... Rereading 100 Years of Solitude. I am here, which is, I think, like about halfway, if not yeah. a little bit more. And this is like classic Gabriel Garcia Marquez. It is like. So, you know how in Kin, everybody's named Carlo? <laughs> so, just in case anybody was like, I'd like to read this because I know it's a classic, be prepared for confusing family names. But it's essentially mm-hmm. a, a family saga drama. You go through this whole family lineage. There's magical realism elements to it. Like, you know, like people live until they're like a hundred and something and like some strange sort of magical mm. things kind of happening, but nothing like full on fantasy, but right. Um, And it's, I mean, it hits on some interesting things. I forgot. Cause I read this so long ago. So rereading it now, it's almost like reading it fresh. But yeah. so it's weird when I see the random things I highlighted like 15 years ago. I'm like, hmm, interesting. Oh, how fun. Look at that. I your know. Old, my old annotations. annotations. I love yeah. that. There's not a lot of them in here because I wasn't a huge annotator, but there was like at least a couple. And I was like, oh, I must have felt that. moved. But basically you have this family and you're, you're, you're insulated in this family and the, the way their lives proceed through generations. And just kind of how they're haunted mm-hmm. by their past and how they can't escape sort of anything because you're just kind of predestined to exist. And it, there's a lot of symbolism and metaphors. And this, this is the kind of book that if you really it. wanted to spend time in and dissect, you really can. Yeah. Um, or you can read it sort of more to just get the family drama and go through and and, and just experience it more service level. So it's, it's kind of a nice book like that, that, that you can read it on different levels and have yeah. different experiences. And I'm kind of enjoying the reread and it's making me want to pick up more of his books and do more rereading of some, of, I, I have some of his books I haven't read yet. And then I have some of his books that I have. So like, I still have love and time of color that I could reread. I do have um, that one. I believe I've re- already read Chronicles of a Death Foretold. But this was like years ago that I read these. And I was really young. So I don't know how much I remember. Yeah. So it'd be nice to to go back and read those. So that might be happening. Because I forgot how much I enjoy the writing. And sometimes it's almost funny. It's very mm-hmm. matter of fact. Too, mm. uh, in terms of how potentially... Uh, I don't know if triggering is the right word, but like mm-hmm. things people could be sensitive to, like, right. I don't know, incest. Like certain themes. Oh, okay. Like that. <laughs> and it's very like matter of fact about it. Like, no, this is what happened. Like, and I, I it's almost jarring to a modern reader, I feel like. Is it? Because, because it's all through a song of ice and fire. And I think people are okay with it. It's true too. Mm. I don't know. I like it. 
Yeah. Not incest. I'm not like down with incest in case that right. sound clip gets weirdly cut up. But I <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm down for the book. Like I enjoy it. I like this like exploration of of your whole history just sort of already being foretold and that there's really nothing you can really do to escape your fate. Which yeah. is not like it's just like this nice sort of philosophical debate that people have all the time. Like, is fate a real thing? Do you mm-hmm. have do you have a predestined future? Do you right. have control over your life? Um, and there's more to it than that, but that's that's a piece. Again, yeah. you could spend a long time in this book. But beware, be warned. Everybody is named um, one of two names. They're all either Jose Arcadio or they're all Ori- or- Aurelianos or Remedios. But those are the girls. It's easier. There's okay. so many girls. Uh, but there's 17 Aurelianoses, and they're just in the family chart as 17 of them. Got anyway. it. Anyway, there's a lot of people, and everybody own, has the same name. I only own two books by him. I don't own that one. I own um, the cholera one, and then I own one called A General in His Labyrinth. But that sounds I don't think fantastic. I have that one. That sounds like an amazing read. I can see why it's on most, you know, must read these books before you die lists. Yes. And I have uh, Autumn of the Patriarch, which I've never read. Um, Mm. And I've got two collections of stories and possibly Mm -hmm. poetry. I don't know what the little one is. The little one, I can't see it from here. Um, I can't remember what the really skinny one is. The other really skinny yeah. one is uh, Chronicle of a Death Foretold. And, uh, mm. and I have These titles are amazing, color. too. The mm. titles just make you like, mm, well, what's that about? I like that. I, I enjoy I enjoy the writing, I think. And um, Love in the Time of Cholera is my, one of my grandmother's favorite books. So mm. it's definitely worth rereading. And to yeah, compare to my mother's to favorite book, which is Wuthering Heights. So I... Oh yeah! Remember, well, remember when I read that? Like I called yeah, her like every twenty yeah. minutes. Like, how is this your favorite book? <laughs> it's weird because I've heard so. I, I know this book has like a lot of mixed reactions. Weather and Heights, not um, Hundred Years of Solitude. Um, but I I like when and I have not read the book either. But I do like when I watch videos or listen to podcast episodes with people defending how wonderful that book is. I enjoy those conversations. Not to make this about Wuthering Heights, but I I do see some of the points where, you know, you talk about a woman writer in this period of time writing this, um, Mm -hmm. the actual, like, constructively, like the writing of the story is is really well done and it's beautiful. However, comma, the plot and the characters are like some of the worst people. Like, it's, it's just, I, no, write something else. (laughs) <laughs> That's it. I just don't like the actual book. And then we're done. Just write and it's something not else. a romance. I, like I just want to make that clear to anybody who wants to tell me it's a romance in the comments. Uh, Ooh, in my is that DMs. one of the arguments? Whether it is a not a romance. Not? If you think this is a romance, I need to have a talk with you about what romance is. No, it's 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 an abusive relationship. But seeing as how Colleen Hoover and It Ends With Us goes, perhaps people don't know the difference between domestic violence and and romance. I see our many, many toes being stamped on right now. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I love it. 
I, I saw someone recently. Remember earlier when I was like, I can't be snarky all the time. And then we're like, so Wuthering Heights, let me dump on this for a I second. I mean, it's <laughs> moments of snark. I recently saw someone's post about, what is it, Before I Let Go by Kennedy Ryan, that, um, which I assume I know that, was a, I know the author, but I yeah, never read any of the books. I, well, you know, I haven't. Uh, and I assumed it was romance because everyone said it was romance. And mm-hmm. so then this girl post, she's like, I just finished this book and it was good, but it is not a romance. And I was like, what, what is it? <laughs> so it's like, maybe this is what you're saying. Maybe people don't know how to differentiate be- between a story that's really surrounding domestic violence versus a true romance. I think that this is another podcast episode because this is like the fourth time I've had this conversation with somebody. And I think it's worth discussing. Like, what actually but is it? Is I don't romance? even read romance. What am I going to compare it to? I've read two I don't in my know. life. Maybe it's not a podcast episode with you. Maybe it's a podcast yeah, episode it's, with it's a guest. With- it's with a guest. It's with a guest. And by the way, I have tried to get into romance. I've got those Beverly Jenkins ones. I've got the rest of those cowboy ones by that Caitlin crew, cruise person. But mm-hmm. I literally never have the desire to pick either of them up. Naomi, I saw one TikTok. It's in my stories today. I saw one TikTok about hockey guys warming up on the ice. I need a hockey romance. It got, it got, I'm all, I'm a little flustered. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying they're not great. I just never have a desire to pick them up. I just don't think that that's how your thirstiness comes out. You're right. My thirstiness is a clash of kings. <laughs> I want to go to that war. You're in currently reading? This is what I'm currently reading. Segway. <laughs> a clash of kings is book two in the Song of Ice and Fire series. And it's so delicious. <laughs> so back to the thing about incest, right? We all know yes. that Cersei yes. and her brother, Jamie, you know, yes. they have made no spoilers together. Family. Okay. Somehow nobody knows listen, this. Listen, listen, you all, this, this book series is like a thousand years old and the show itself is also so old. So if you haven't People seen still- it by now, read it by now, I don't, I don't have to tell you. People still get their panties in a twist if you, like, spoil Akatar, And you're like, where have you been on the internet? Untwist them. It is a thing. So, anyway, like, I I love hate Cersei so much. Like, she is such a mean, evil, mm, disingenuous, just all the bad things. She's just such a horrible character. But I also love it (laughs) because she's so terrible. You know what I mean? She cannot be trusted. She will stab you in the she will stab you in the front. She'll stab you in the front and the back. She doesn't need your back. She doesn't need your back. She'll take either side, either view, front, back. It doesn't matter. But I like, I love hate her. Oh, she's a she's a great character. Anyway, I'm about 400 pages in, and I just I just can't stop. It's just so good. And I'm, this is the first time ever where I have watched a show like religiously and obsessively. Like I've watched the series mm-hmm. probably. She's watched it a lot. Eight, nine, 10 times all the way through. It's a you lot. Know, because I love it so much. And this is the first time that I've done that and then started reading the books. And so it'll be interesting to see because the book series isn't finished. It'll be interesting to see where the 
books go versus where the show went. So I'm waiting to see where they start to split. Mm-hmm. Because I have no idea. So my like, question I don't know when the 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 showrunner and the writers and the whoever's decided, okay, after this book, we're gonna start adding on additional storylines because we don't have a final book. So we've gotta like make an ending. Yeah. So I'm really intrigued by that. So my question for you, since you have watched the show and I've only watched season one twice, because that's every time I've tried to get back in. I've I've tried twice and I just ended up watching season one twice and never continued. How true to season two is book two? Very close. So if I read, if I read, if I watch one and two and actually Mm -hmm. do it, Mm -hmm. I'll be ready for book three. Mm-hmm. So that you don't have to do all the reading, which mm-hmm. I think honestly it would take less time to just read the books, but that's fine. I I will find time to watch things. Jesus will yeah. probably like having a watch along of that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So April. Oh yes, for sure, because this is going to be done like by the end of next week. Yes, and and I have to finish book two be prize stuff. So yeah, and we have international booker and all of that fun stuff. Yeah, so April, I'm gonna we're gonna start book three, which is a storm of swords. Um, very excited. I'm I'm excited because that one, book three, people seem to like a whole heck of a lot. So I am yeah, very we're excited. Find out. I know, I'm so excited. Also, I'm so thirsty to watch the show again. So I'm like, as soon as I'm done with whatever the last book is, I'm diving right back into the show. Well, I guess that's my homework assignment. Oh, but I'm going to have that whole week. I'm going to have. Oh, that's to how you sure are. I'm going to have a whole week. Yes, you are. So like I can just, I can just alternate like reading and Game of Thrones time. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's how I'm going to do it. Anyway. Such a good show. Oh, I'm so glad right. we made this plan here live on this podcast recording day. That's what we do. Also heads up April. I'm diving back into the Wolf Hall Thomas Cromwell series. So I'm going to oh, start. So I should. Two. I'm going to do every too. other. So like, yeah. So like the second book I'll do in April and then the final book. I'll do in uh, June. Okay, just send me the pod, the buddy read thing for that, and actually make comments like I do. So it I functions. know I was bad this time. Well, last time, yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's fine. I can. Watch. I have it. I got it. I pangoed it. I have some pango box. So when we're ready to get the third one, I can get that too. Yeah. And I not don't break my no buy. Good for you. <laughs> I'm being good. I'm proud of you. I have broken you. it a few times, but nothing crazy. Broken it, meaning you went like I beyond bought, your... I bought things without Pango Box. Like, I bought things with, like, money money. But I thought you had some parameters <laughs> that allowed you to... Oh, oh, okay, never mind. My parameters mm-hmm. were, like, vacation and you... Got it. So Got it. Those okay. don't count. All but right. anywho, what are we here for? <sighs> well, you sent me this video about who is Elena Ferrante exposed, mm-hmm. which was a very short video, but man, f- first, let me just say, I knew that lady's accent was just, I just love an Italian accent. So she, I think she's from Brussels, but. Is she? I, Whatever it is, she <laughs> sounds like, I want to have tea with her. I want to have a sandwich with her, you know? So Maybe the creator's a- name is Anne Novella. So go give Anne her channel Novella. a subscribe. Like, go I subscribe subscribed. to her. She reads a lot of litfic, a lot of 
really interesting conversations about the books that she's reading. Uh, I really enjoy her, and her voice is very soothing. It is. It, it, it is very soothing. You want to so friend good. her. You do. Yeah. She sounds. You want to have coffee so clutch warm. with her. And and she just sounds so welcoming. I just I want to be her friend. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you well, like we a can make that happen. Her and then go to a coffee shop and sit down and talk books with her. Like she's that kind of person. We can make that happen. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh. But yeah. So she she put out this little video and I I watched it and then immediately sent it to Naomi because I was mm-hmm. like Naomi's gonna eat this. Uh, and I did. And I did. And I think it's a really interesting little discussion because if you don't know, somehow, if you don't know, the author who is named Elena Ferrante is, is that's just the pseudonym. And we don't mm-hmm. technically know who that author is. So it could be a man. It could be a woman. It could be anybody. It could, they could not even, well, I guess they could have to be Italian, right? But they, who says who? That's true. It could not be. We have no idea who this person is. Um, We just know that they are beloved and especially beloved by Naomi. So, And for those, if you're new here, we did talk about this during season one. Mm -hmm. So in the show notes for this episode, I will link to the show notes from the episode from season one where we talked about this. Because in those show notes, there are also some articles. Because people have been talking about this and trying to like, you know, investigate this situation for quite some time. So I'll link those show notes in the these show notes. But I think, and we'll link the video so you guys can watch it. But I think that Anne does a fantastic job of, of, collating this data and putting forth quite the argument for who could be Elena Ferrante. Yeah. And I know this author. Um, I wanted to read his books, Trick and Trust. I think I talked about trust in season one. Um, So (laughs) now I got to order those books right away. (laughs) I just have to now. Uh, It's so interesting, right? It's it's, um, it's crazy. So do you want to kind of break down what we was discussed? I um, wish we could play this video, but it's so hard in Riverside. I mean, we could play it, um, but I don't know how it would work. We play it and they can hear it. But then in the editing, you don't need to add it in because we're going to link it in the show notes. Can we do that? We could do that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Riverside needs to get better for like adding. Do you want me to play it in here? I'll yeah, play, play it in here. here. Yeah. Yeah. And then because they'll at least I'll... hear it. But then sorry, we're having like a little shop talk for like one minute. But then when you're in editing, you don't need to worry about putting it in the video part because we're just gonna put the video in the show notes. All right. You are just a part of TBR Lowdown Planning. How about that? <laughs> you can find out that like though we love Riverside, we also hate Riverside because it doesn't do what Oop, there are some things they would, that we wish they would, you know, really address and fix and make a little bit easier to use. Media is one of them. Yeah. So, um, work, so, so hold on for me one second here. Yeah. So uh, while she's looking for the video and doing all that stuff and setting it up, she's going to uh, tee it up so that um, you all can listen to Anne. Oh, wait, I forgot down. we're not in StreamYard. So this right. actually might be easier to do it this way. Okay. In StreamYard, I usually share the files, not the- Okay. So uh, so you can listen to Anne break down um, this whole thread of why she thinks it may be 
what is it, D- D- Domenico Starco, something like that? Something like that. It's now, so interesting. So now I'm gonna I'll hit play on this. And before I do, ooh, let's close off my phone here. Um a little bit more shop talk for the behind the scenes videos. Hi video people. <laughs> you're getting this for free, folks. Um, because you're not even gonna see this video part. Uh though maybe if I'm if I'm snazzy enough, I could do it. Um you're gonna snap the audio in here because it's gonna record the audio, I believe. But I don't think they'll hear it through our mics because we're using headphones. But it'll be in the recording though. Does it right? do that? I don't oh, know. I don't know. You'll we have it. Find out. It's an experiment. I'll figure it out. Experiment. There's a way to let. Yeah. Otherwise, we can just layer it in like I layer things. So anyway, let me hit play, and we shall figure it out. All right. This yeah. is lovely Anne. Uh, she's at 796 subscribers, which means she's getting ever closer to a thousand. And nice. Give her a sub. Hello, my friends. Welcome or welcome back to my channel. My name is Anna Fella, and today I want to answer the question, who, who is she? Elena Ferrante? Now, when you Google Elena Ferrante, you quickly will find this picture. That's not Elena Ferrante for 100% sure. <laughs> That's Anne Goldstein. She is the American translator of mm-hmm. the I love Elena that. Ferrante I love that. Like, you can't even, all you get is the translator. Yes, you know? right. There's an, there's probably another episode about that. Um, Anne Goldstein was just on, I think, LA Review of Books because she just translated this new book that's coming out or this has just come out. And there's some interesting conversations around translators. So maybe that oh, should be another episode that we can dig into. Oh, yeah. And I'll send you the episode. Okay. Send it to me. Anyway, back to Anne. She's not the author. There is an Italian journalist, Claudio Gatti, I believe his, his name is, and he works for a business journal that is called Il Sole 24 Ore. And what do you do as a business journalist? Well, you follow the money. And all the millions and millions and millions of royalties came to one household in Rome, and there lives Anita Raja. Anita Raja is partly Italian, partly German. She is a translator of German literature, and she is also the president or the yeah the head of, or she was the head of the Goethe Library in Rome. Now, there has never been a single text published under her name, so there's nothing to compare it with. But she is married to... Domenico Starnone. And Domenico Starnone is an Italian author. He published over 20 novels. One of them is uh, translated in, in English. Is he it? Is he the author? Well, or is it the sort of uh, Nikki French guy, which is. I just like that they're both possible. from Europa. Yes. It like would make sense. It's not in like some other. Mm-hmm. publishing house it would totally make sense that it could yeah. be like it's just easier like oh i'm going to publish this book under a pen name yeah i just want you to know and you probably already guessed this the moment you sent it to me but like i'm watching it and like all the things she's like you know 
given us. And I'm like so audible about everything. I'm like, oh, I know him. What? I know, I I know you just, were having a I whole moment. The, I was having the best moment. <laughs> I honestly wish we had a video of Naomi watching this for the oh. first time. And I, I assume yeah. that most that following the money is not a new thing, but I just right. I love how well Anne covers this. Oh, yes. Money. It's she this did a household. Job. Here's this guy. That's right. where we are, folks. Exactly. Let's keep going. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, it is for sure that all the money goes to that household and they must be the authors because the money trail ends there. And that, so there are a couple of clues that say that it is Domenico Starnoni and not his wife. Domenico Starnoni is born in 1943, just like uh, Elena Ferrante in Napoli. And Domenico Starnoni grew up in a very, very poor neighborhood where uh, they communicated uh, with the kids by slamming them, just like the two girls in the... I love, I love, like, I love this little detail. Like, they even have the same sort of background as, right. as her characters. Yes. And remember when we were talking about this whole quartet, in, in particular, the first book, My Brilliant Friend, and I was saying that you know, there's just a lot of violence. Mm-hmm. Violence between, you know, the married people, violence between families in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. violence against, you know, parents in their... It is very violent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just loving this I've, I watched it like four times and I'm still like giddy like I'm watching it the first time <laughs> it feels like it feels like we're watching someone crack a case like it, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's like real life clue I love right. it <laughs> it's the rope in the library <laughs> right <laughs> this okay. isn't the best evidence my favorite evidence is later but <laughs> yes one clue. Another clue. There's one word that only two living authors in Italy use, and that's Elena Ferrante and Domenico Starnone. The other two authors passed away at least 100 years ago, and that's inabolibile. Inabolibile means unabolishable. And that's not a very common word, and they only could find it in two novels, and one is written by that's crazy like how that is wild like first of all the fact that somebody has sussed out that there is one word by one one word word. (laughs) like what what there are people out here that are on different levels that i can't even attain to ever get to okay that's Uh, one of them where i can point something like that out i got things (laughs) i need to do in my life i don't have this kind of time that that yeah that was a mind trip there oh okay Keep going. <laughs> Keep going, Anne. Oh. So you have Domenico Sarnoni and you have Nino Saratoni. Domenico is the official name, but he, his friends know him and his wife knows him as Nino. And Saratoni is just an anagram of Sarnoni. I lost it here. This is where I really lost it. I was like, oh, that's the guy in the books. I mean, I was losing it. <laughs> when she said that, I was like, this is like, this is like watching Poirot break something down. 
Yes. I was so glued in. Oh, my goodness. Continue, continue. Continue, continue. Yes, 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 yes. That's another point. In 1992, you have the first novel published by under the name Elena Ferrante, and that is Troubling Love. In the same year, Domenico Starnone also publishes a book called uh, Via Gimetto. If you put them together, Troubling Love is the female version of a story and uh, Via Gemetto is the male version of the story, but it tells the same story but with crazy. two different points of view. <laughs> when she said that, I was like, are you kidding me? Are like, you how? kidding me? And then I was like, I wish I could read in Italian because, hello, I would get it and read it. Exactly. So you can find out if it's true. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I guess I gotta take this as fact because I don't speak any Italian. Right. That was another like mind blown, mm-hmm. you know, revelation. Oh man. She- I hope everybody listening is like enjoying this ride as much as we we have. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is a ride. And I, oh, again, yeah. thank you, Anne, for putting this yes. out. Please go sub her. Please go like the video. Please go say hi. Yes. Flood her comments with hellos. Yeah. Yes. Um, But anyway, back to the video. Yes. That's the first clue. So that's also a very important clue. So maybe he created Elena Ferrante just as an idea for two books. And he wanted to know how it would have been received by the audience and then things went mm, yeah. from there. Now, it doesn't matter. If it happens like that, it doesn't matter. It's okay. But there's also a professor. His name is Loreto. He works at the University of Rome. And he has uh, developed um, a sort of a program, a computer program that analyzes text and compare them to each other. Uh, the computer program doesn't look, uh, doesn't take into account the style or the message or whatever. It just uh, looks at uh, the, the basic DNA of a text. Just the basics, the, the letters and the points and the dots and the commas and uh, just that. And when he first used that uh, program, he compared two authors, two Dutch authors. Uh, one is Arnon Grunberg and the other was Arik, whatever, and they quickly realized that it was, those two texts were written by the same man, Arnon Grunberg, and Arnon Grunberg was the first to admit, yep, you're right. This is my favorite piece is of my evidence. Ego. This is the up. part where I said, again, I said it aloud, I was like, mm. That is way too smart for me. Like, he created a program to do that. That is way too smart for me. How brilliant is that? What even made you want to do that? I don't. You know, like, what sparks that kind of genius of an idea? I don't understand how any of this works. I just... That is not the kind of thinky woman I am. (laughs) Do not know. Right. That's pretty incredible, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ready for this? I feel like this is the most damning, revelatory, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, revealing mm-hmm. piece mm-hmm. of evidence is coming up. No, yep. 
So yeah, they now wanted to try that with the Elena Ferranti text. So they compared uh, texts by, written by Elena Ferranti and they compared it to 25 uh, novelists that could be Elena Ferranti. Uh, women, men, uh, there was amongst other Paolo Giordani, you might know him of the solitude of prime numbers. And immediately, who popped up? Domenico Stanley. Boom. So yeah. Matched it against 25 other, other novelists. Now, I mean, it is a small sample size, but in a small sample size to get somebody kick out as being like, yeah, no, it's you. But it would yeah. be interesting if they expanded the sample size to say like mm-hmm. 100 or like yeah. 200. Would there be more people that hit? And then would this, but the, it just feels like with everything else, yes, if you then have this up. piece, that yeah. is very supportive data, but it would be really interesting yeah. to increase that sample size. It would be. It would be. But just with the facts alone about that guy, it's like, oh, these things are really lining up with the novels themselves. Yeah. Down to the name. Down to the names. It's an anagram. Anyway. <laughs> ah, we got like 20, 20 seconds. Hold up. I know. I know. That's... <laughs> Pretty much proof. But it's possible that his wife helps him. It's, it's very much possible. And uh, that it's a collab. Does it matter? No. It's just fun to know. And um, does it um, diminish uh, her work or, or Elena Ferrante's work? No. It's just fun to know. And that's why I made this video. Yes, so we did enjoy it. it. Yes, we did, Anne. We, we did absolutely enjoy it. We enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. So I'm much so for glad that you were already following her so that you uh-huh. could share that with me because that was that was cherry on the on the that was everything. I enjoyed that so much. It's 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 I uh, I don't even care if it's true. I just I just love this journey of going right. like I like the this, investigative journey of it all. Yeah. I don't even care. I don't yeah. care. Though I do think it would be really funny that you could have all these things that are pointing to one human being, and then it's like some guy in Wisconsin who's right. writing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be kind of crazy. That would be really funny. And that I would, wonder. Would... I wonder. And they're just friends, so they just funnel money. Right. <laughs> I, but I do wonder if Elena Ferrante has any desire ever to come out and introduce him or herself to the world? Or do they never plan to do that and just keep their identity a secret until the end of time? I wonder, and this is something that people can leave feedback for us on and answer the question. If, if it really is a man, it's Mm -hmm. this gentleman. Does that change your relationship with the stories? Because it doesn't for me. Very feminine, right? They're very most of hell yeah. Are are stories about women, and he's clearly writing them well enough that you're not going, oh my god, this is a man writing a woman, right? Um, Right. So like that's great. We love that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe there is a collab with his wife, and that's why the women sound like women, and they feel like women, and they read like women, and you don't have, you know alarm bells going off in your head. So 
would it change your relationship? I guess that's a question. And I, that's probably a question that if it is a man who is Elena Ferrante, whether mm-hmm. it's this man or not, um, maybe that's a big part of the question. Does it change how your work gets perceived from that point forward? Right. Let us know what you think um, in the comments on, on our Instagram or on our, our show notes, but it doesn't change anything for me. Um, I I don't think I would come out and say, like, I am Elena Ferrante if it was me. I'm not Elena Ferrante. Um, but yeah. I don't think that I would come out and say that. I, I guess think I would kind of on... enjoy the mystery. As long as I was getting my money, I don't think I'd care. Well, I guess the reality is we actually don't really know why this person has made a choice to stay anonymous. We don't know what those reasons are. It could be, for all we know, just like a deathful fear of any kind of attention or publicity. You know, some people are just against that. They are not equipped Mm -hmm. for that. Who knows? Um, Or maybe they just enjoy the process of writing a solid novel and putting it out in the world. And that's all they want. That's that's all they want. Um, or maybe like she said, maybe he created or wrote Troubling Love as another view to the book he already wrote. But then like maybe it was so popular and it got out of hand and he just kind of got on that ship and sailed with it. Who knows? Perhaps. I mean, I, I imagine there's more uh, expectations on you as a creator, when you have something that gets picked up and becomes like a show and this and that, I mean, just looking at like what Lee Bardugo's Instagram, you know, and seeing all the work that she does, mm-hmm. um, being actually involved in the serialization or, or the cinema, whatever, the TVification of her shows, of her books. I can't talk. Making um, her books into TV shows. And the fact that she is on set and she does do things and then you have premiere stuff. and But then also, but that's I not people, always the norm, though. Sometimes also they don't see, want the writers involved at all. Yeah. Then I also see stuff like um, uh, Emily St. John Mandel mm-hmm. had input, but not to that level. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there is that. There's like a not wanting to be known because you don't want to. You just kind of want to live your life. You don't want to be. Right. All up in the mix. Yeah. All up in the mix. I imagine that if whoever Elena Ferrante is, if they ever do come out, they're going to be, there's going to be a lot of spotlight on them. And if that's oh my gosh, that going to be crazy, want, then that's going to be incredibly overwhelming. Yeah. It's going to be crazier mm-hmm. because everyone's been wondering for so long. So it's going to be magnified by a million, the amount yeah. of attention and articles that like it's it's it would break the literary internet if yeah he she whatever ever came out and said it's me (laughs) hello it's me i am elena ferrante it would break the literary internet yeah yeah for sure but let us know let ann know yeah comment please please um and let her know how you feel and let yeah. us know how you feel about this little mystery and the yeah. clues that she's, she's put forth in solving it. Um, 
Yeah. And even if it's all right and it is this gentleman, I don't even know. I don't even know if I want an actual answer. I just kind of, I just. I like I the mystery of it. I like the mystery of it. I like the mystery of it. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, in general, I feel like most things are overexposed anyway. And I, in general, I feel like most of what is shared from celebrities, famous people is none of our business anyway, but Mm -hmm. social media makes regular folk feel like they're entitled to know people's business. So I like the fact that she's not giving you her business. (laughs) That's what I like. I like the fact that she's not giving you her business because she doesn't want to give you her business. It's actually more fun for me to like speculate than to know. So, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. so exciting. That was just fantastic. That's just just a little fun episode, a little a little little mystery romp with Naomi, Alyssa, and Anne. <laughs> now, here's what I didn't um look into because I didn't have time before we r- recorded, but mm-hmm. I don't know if any of her books have won any a- awards that are like f- specifically for women. Oh. Um, I don't that I don't would think change so, things, but I'm like not sure. Changed. Not that it's eligible for the Women's Prize, but like if it was eligible for something like the Women's Prize. Right. Or some other prize around the world somewhere that was just for women. Um, and yeah, so that would be be an, be an issue. Because um, I think we're so used to female authors having pseudonyms that are male names because it was so hard for female writers to get an in. So if they had a male name, they could like get through that door a little easier. I don't think very often we see men who have pseudonyms as female names, right? That's more of an oddity, I would think. What what do you what do you think about that? Because they don't uh, they don't have any trouble getting in the door to get publishing deals. It's women that have to really struggle to get any attention to their manuscripts. Yeah, I mean I think that is kind of I think it's I think you're right. I think it's more common for Men to just have other men pen names and for women yeah. to either write as men or do the initial thing. Right. So that their gender is a little bit more uh, like obscured. Really so that you just assume they're a man. Mm-hmm. Right. Versus right off you read the name is like, oh, that's a lady. Yeah. <sighs> Very interesting. So I'm trying Very to figure out your question about... Prizes. Prizes. And it won something like the Sunday Times Award for Literature. Um, They were a finalist for the Strega, but I don't know what that is. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. I have to look into that more. Yeah. That's, That's the only thing that I would think would be an issue is if a man really did write these books and if they were ever nominated and or won an award that was specifically for women writers. So it was shortlisted for the man booker in 16 independent publisher book award, gold medalist in translated book award shortlisted, but it doesn't look like it's won anything. Yeah. At it's least all, according it's to Wikipedia. Interesting. Anyway, it's it, fantastic. It, I don't think Elena Ferrante. 
Yeah. <laughs> Elena Ferrante. Let us know. Do you have Ferrante fever like I do? I don't have Ferrante know. fever. I know. I have it. It's um, it's everlasting. They're fine. <laughs> it's everlasting. And don't worry. I don't worry. dislike Ferrante. It's just fine. If you would, if you do dislike Ferrante, or if you hated the Neapolitan Quartet, like I've seen so many people say, I, you know, I won't hate you. I don't care. You like what you like. You hate what you hate. I just want to know. She's actually nice about those things. Yeah, I don't care. It's you know whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have bad taste. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I just actually, it was just the other day. I basically quit all of my Facebook reading groups. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. only in one now. I just stuck with the modern literary society one. And somebody had just posted about my brilliant friend and she was saying how much she loved it. Like a lot of the comments were, oh, I just couldn't after that first book. Oh, like, oh, I just, you know, like a lot of people are just like, I just don't, I don't, I don't have time for all of this. Yeah. Whereas I gobbled each book up. Each book was deeper and got better and better for me. So, you know. I think you should read my phantoms because I'm just having this flashback to that book and it's good. And Elena Fronte gets a nod in it. Mm. There's a mother daughter buddy read. Mm. Anyway, I think that you would, you would enjoy it anyway. Okay. Okay. All right. What book recommendation do you have for the folks listening? I briefly touched on it yesterday, but it wasn't a wreck. But I do want to really recommend Say Nothing by Patrick Radden Keefe because, first of all, he's a favorite, okay? Mm-hmm. I've read Empire of Pain. That was one of our TBR Lowdown picks in season one. I've read Rogues. That is his latest um, collection of like crime stories. And Say Nothing was just so good. I wanted, because I have all of these books that I have that I'm going to be reading that are um, set in Ireland and set around the troubles. And I, I wanted to get an understanding about this time in Ireland so that when I read the books, it would feel more familiar to me. And I would really understand the impact it had on those people in their lives and say nothing absolutely did that. I mean, this like just blew me off my freaking feet. I, it was <laughs> the things that were going on were so harsh and so scary and so horrific. I did. I just did not really understand how deep it was. Oh, oh yes. Reminded me. I needed to yes. get, grab it, so I grabbed it. So, <laughs> if you've ever had an inkling, an inkling of an interest in the troubles, I highly recommend you read "Say Nothing: A True Story of Murder and Memory in Northern Ireland" by Patrick Redden Keefe. Phenomenal. And then, if you read any novels set around this time, you'll have a better footing on how it really was. Yeah. So I was just showing Naomi for anybody who isn't watching us. Um, I just uh, borrowed the audio for say nothing because I want to read trespasses. If you weren't yeah. on our live, um, which is nominated for the women's prize this year. And I really would like to read it and I have it. And she was adamant that I should do that first so that I have a better background and she's right. So Yeah. I will squeeze that in somewhere. Uh, yeah, I, I do mean, find nonfiction is easy to listen to because I just oh, for sure. kind of put it on and I clean the house and I do things and I just pick up information. And, and yeah, go. this was a workbook for me. I listened to it when I was at, at work. Um, but yeah, and, 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 and Trespasses was good. But I, I do think 
my experience would have been a little bit different had I not listened to Say Nothing. I don't think I would have really felt the impact of what was going on in that story and those choices those characters made and those things with those kids and their families. And I don't think I would have really got it, like how serious it is and how mm-hmm. like you guys are putting yourselves literally in harm's way. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I can't believe you're, I can't believe you're taking this risk. Oh, yeah. So, anyway. yeah. Well, this is good because I have a fiction. We're, we're doing two recordings today and I had a fiction and a nonfiction. So Perfect. I will follow up your nonfiction with a nonfiction. And that's All the Living and the Dead by Haley Campbell. And St. Martin did send me this. So thank you, St. Martin. I finally am reading it. I finally read it. It's not English. I finally read it. And I have a bit of a sort of morbid nonfiction. Uh, I don't know. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kink. Reading yeah. kink. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. It's not a kink. but It's an interest. Interest. It's an interest. Uh, and so, so I really love Smoke It's In Your Eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. Stiff was okay. And I feel like those are the two big books about death and the death industry um, that people kind of know. Yeah. And this is a really interesting addition to those because uh, this looks at things that neither of those look at in, in, mm. I thought it was going to be a bit repetitive and it's not, which is lovely. Um, it looks at lots of different people that touch on, on death and, and taking care of, you know, your body when you're gone uh, from people that are working in cryogenics to people who work with uh, like search and rescue to find your body in a, a, um, a disaster or something or a war zone. Um, you've got people that work with people that <sighs> people who work with, sorry, this is background noise. If nobody can hear it, but people can, people who work with like babies that pass on and like, where do you bring like the people who like work on babies in the morgue? It's like, it's, it's definitely dark. It's definitely triggering, but it's also informative and, weirdly kind of uplifting because you hear these interviews with people that deal with your you that treat your body with so much respect when you're gone Mm -hmm. or your loved one or your child or you know your neighbor or whoever and to not forget that those to not forget that those people exist and that yeah they are like an integral part of, of our cultural life or society. Um, you know, I, I, I think I just really like reading about it because it's, it's something that we don't talk enough about, especially in Western culture. Mm-hmm. It's something that we kind of push to the shadows a lot. And it's a really important part of society. It, I mean, we think about archaeology and what we are looking at. We spend so much time learning about people through their burial rites and what they did and what they brought with them and what they didn't bring with them and yeah. where they faced them and how they buried them and all this other stuff. So like all of these things are really important parts of being a human being and living in a society. And I like that there are people that are bringing it out of the shadows because it's been like life's been kind of sanitized for the most part. And I mean, this is more of a new thing. I'm really waxing on here, but you know, even up until like the Victorian period, you know, women were really much a part of, you know, like bathing a body, dressing a body, getting Mm -hmm. it ready, doing all these things. And as you've, 
compartmentalized things from the home and into institutions like hospitals and morgues and funeral homes right. and all this other stuff, you start to distance it. And then people don't know what it's like. People don't, they, they fear things. It's an unknown and there's, there's fear there. And I, I just don't think there should be fear. Interesting. Now you're making me want to read that book. I will hmm. make you read any book on death. Yeah. <laughs> well, that does sound really like, good though. Think about like, my profession is dealing with people mm -hmm. at the worst of times. Um, and often after they've gone, I'm part yeah. of that chain of people that, that takes care of, of your loved one uh, on the way to whatever yeah. service or whatever you have for them. And it's, it's an important thing. And the fact that we keep that separate from people, I think that it, it does give you a different perspective on life and on what matters and on what you can, should be like fighting about or being upset about or putting your time into. I mean, I think it's an important piece of the life cycle that shouldn't be in the shadows. Hmm. So are you saying you think that most people don't know what happens to you like right after you die? Yeah, I think most people aren't like you used to like get sick in your house and you die in your house and then get like whatever and you were much more involved in everything and now it's it's everything happens behind a closed door somewhere. Mm. So I just feel like it's easier to understand that it's over, that there's closure, that there's I mean, it's like why women who have still, like not to be triggering here at the end of this episode, but women with stillbirths, a lot of people have pictures taken with their babies because mm -hmm. that's the only picture you're going to have, right? That's the only moment you're going to have. Um, and I've read articles where people are like upset that they said no, or you have people that are like, that sounds like morbid. Why do you have this photographer going around? And you forget, and this kind of gets touched on in this book too, is this idea of the cer there's certain things that we do, things that we want to see and Sometimes people act like wanting to see, you know, your loved one's mangled body mm -hmm. seems like something that you shouldn't want to see. Like it's going to be traumatizing, but not seeing, not knowing, not closing that door can often make people more upset. Yeah, I've had different experiences with death. When my uncle, my mom's brother died, he was in hospice mm -hmm. and it was actually a really beautiful moment because the, the person that comes in to take his body away, she asked my mom that she want to help prepare him for his departure. Mm -hmm. A and good hospice so, nurse will. Yeah. So yeah. she did that. And that was really um, healing in that moment for my mm -hmm. mom to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then when my grandmother died, she died at home in my mom's house. And so I think most people think that when someone dies, you call them and they take them away. Like, and that's not what really happens. So my grandmother was in her bed, deceased, and we just laid in the bed with her, around her, hugged her, kissed her, talked to her, cried her effing eyeballs out, talked to her some more, kissed her. So like it went, it went on for like three or four hours. And mm -hmm. then we said, okay, now we're ready. And, and then they came healing. to get her. It is. And I as took a picture. A lot of, we all did. Yeah. We all took pictures of those hours and it was very comforting. It is very healing. 
And yeah. there are like a lot of barriers to, to that for a lot of people. Um, you know, most people don't really die at home. They die in mm-hmm. the hospital or they yeah. die in a nursing home. Yeah. And you're separated from everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. this is like a lot of the conversations you have in like palliative care are like where yeah. and how do you want to die? Do you yes. want to do it at home with your family? Do you want us to do everything and you'll be in the hospital, but you might be separated from them? And it's not it's not even so there's two obviously things going on. You have the person and their wishes, but you also have the family and the things that they need to heal. And I, I do think my personal bias is that if you can do things as a family unit and yeah. be together, however yeah. you can make that happen, if that's yep. you know being available because they have to be in an ICU, but being available so that when they call you, you mm-hmm. are ready to come and you can spend yeah. that time with them before they start taking stuff out and you know mm-hmm. letting the person pass. If it's doing it at home through a good hospice service, whatever, I think that it's like being able to be a part of that and saying goodbye is yeah. huge. Yeah, and it's it's just nice to read about people that are talking so frankly about something that so many people. I bet you people listening have gotten a little like, because eh, it's a topic that we get a little right. skeevy with, and I get it. Like nobody really wants to think about it, but it's so much more cathartic to be able to have the time to mourn the way you want to mourn. Um, like more like naturalistic, not in like some sort of ceremony. And I think the ceremonies do help. There's that's not, yeah. Um, to say they don't, but I feel like having that moment, like crying in the bed with your grandmother or yeah. like spending time with them. Um, yeah. I think it helps. Yeah. And but I thought I the conversations with the medical know what you can, yeah. what you can do. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even know that until that time they were like, Oh no, we don't have to take her right now. No, you know, you can, you can call us later. Mm-hmm. Even I thought that, oh, no, they're going to come get her right away. Nobody was ready for that. And mm-hmm. so they let us know, no, you you have some time. Yeah. Just just take your time. Um, yeah. Because and- most of the people that are involved in, like, the death industry mm-hmm. are really caring people and understand yes. that this is not something that you can rush. Like, you're right. not just going to – you're not, like, dropping your groceries off and then putting them in the fridge and going away. Like, no, you like, there's a whole – process here and there's things that you have to go through and i i just i really love these books i think for that and it's not the morbid aspect it's not because i'm like dead inside or well i'm a little dead inside but well yeah um, yeah but i i think it's it's kind of uplifting to remember that there are people that are going to be with you until the very end Mm -hmm. and they're going to be respectful and caring of you yeah yeah for sure. Now I really want to read that. <laughs> it's really interesting. I thought the stuff about um, yeah. like the medical examiners and people when you go to like identify a loved one, how mm-hmm. they often – there's this like natural hesitancy to let people see when it's really bad. Yeah. But, uh, how often people really, really need to see. They like, need that to see is, for closure. Yeah. There's there's like a psychological thing. Mm-hmm. And, it's like a mental it's, closure. It's not, as tra- it's, it's not as traumatizing as you think it is. Mm-hmm. When not going through it, yeah, I'm not saying it's not traumatizing. It's 100 percent traumatizing. Well, but yeah, it's a different kind of traumatizing. Yeah, so. I I thought that because you know how my stepdad just like he, he just died and it, it just no, nobody expected it. Mm-hmm. You know what has he aorta or something ripped and then he was like in the um, hospital and then they yeah. opened them up and then like 
And then yeah, like three days later, section. those are yeah, not and, good. And then like three days later, they were like, oh, we're, we're going to, we're going to quote unquote, pull the plug. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. how, well, how does that work? But even that was not what you, th I think as we think yeah. about what we see in, on movies and on TV shows, mm -hmm. even with that, my mom called in the morning. She said, we're going to do yeah. it at this time, right? We and have we time. Yeah. Family and friends were all in the room. We're comforting my mom. We're saying our goodbyes to my stepdad. And then, and it's not even like the person like is gone right away per se. Like it's a entire process and the staff is mm -hmm. so comforting. It's so respectful mm -hmm. of this moment. So yeah, there's a, you're right. There are a lot of unknowns. You think one way because of what we see like on the Law and Orders and the Grey's Anatomies, but then like in real life, it's, it's different. It is different. It's different. Yeah. There's this a lot. A I, want, I gotta get that book. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Gotta Death. get that book. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a really important conversation to have that yeah. I don't think, I think that we shy away from naturally. I get it. Um, but I think it's important. Yeah, for sure. So. I'm glad you read that. You're putting welcome. that on my, be more that on my Don't list. Don't worry. Do you know you, you remember what book I sent you, right? I have to I have to find oh I'm smacking the mic. Oh. I, I the the book on the um the skin. Yes. So longtime listeners may remember there was uh, there was a little brief mention of uh the fact that there are still in you know possession of the world um <laughs> books bound in human skin <laughs> and i don't know randomly, why that makes me just <laughs> randomly on tiktok i saw somebody who reads like morbid nonfiction, and they were giving recommendations and one of them was this book on that whole thing of like why people did it the ethics of it all of that. And I was like, <laughs> so oh that one's coming gosh. at some point. Look forward to that moment. That's going to um, be a heck of a read. It's short. It's like a six yeah. hour audio book, I think is what I found. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely interesting. Oh, for sure. It's definitely going to spark some debate, I think. Yes. I'm looking forward to that one. It's definitely yeah, very niche. Yeah. I don't think that everybody listening, if some people have probably clicked off since I've said that, but. Right, right. They probably clicked off when we started getting in, in these, uh, you know, experiences of death of loved ones, but this is life. It's life and it's very important. It's We're all going to die. <laughs> and maybe not right here. Here's the thing. Maybe right now is not the time that you want to hear this, but there's a, going to be a time where you might. So that's yeah. why it's important to have these conversations out there because you yeah. need to be able to access them when you're ready. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that uh, was slightly morbid, but hi. I think I thought that was a great um end to the to the show about that book. And it just made me wanna reflecting back to my experiences with losing family members, that just made me want to read that book even more. Um, so that is now kind of high on my list. Kind of high on my list. So you're thank welcome. you for that. Um, anyway, follow us everywhere at TBR Lowdown. Visit our website for all the things, tbrlowdown.com. That's going to do it for us. We are out of here. Bye. Bye. Well, we've come to the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We kindly ask that you go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our show and leave a review. 
that would help us out tremendously. Don't forget to follow TBR Lowdown on Instagram at TBR Lowdown and visit our website for show notes, the link to join our Discord book club, and other information at tbrlowdown.com. You can follow me, Naomi, on Instagram at BookLadyReads and follow Alyssa on Instagram at NerdyNurseReads. Thanks again for listening and for your support. Until next time. <laughs>